I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that was all started by a mouse. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney for NPR Illinois Community Voices and for the Front Row Network. I'm your host, Craig, but I'm not joined by my co-host tonight. I am joined by some special people to talk all things The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which we have been enjoying on Disney Plus for the last six weeks. Have some very special guests with me. First, I want to go to my brother, Scott. And what I'd like you to do, Scott, is say kind of your relationship to the character of Captain America. So, Scott, you're up first. I'm happy to be here. I'm feeling a little bit of deja vu, but uh, with uh, this, uh, you know, I've been a Captain America fan since uh, I was reading comics since when Craig was a, uh, before Craig was around. Uh, now I stopped reading the comics quite a uh, bit ago, but um, Wikipedia has definitely helped me out and kept me up to speed. So I have, uh, I know about the, uh, the Bucky run as cap and the Sam run as cap. Yeah. So it's, it's always been a part of my, my superhero uh, diet. And uh, when Captain America throws his mighty shield, all the poses shield must yield. That's the 1960s cartoon. Nice, nice. Uh, Jay Hoffman, host of Flashbacks, with us tonight as well. Jay, what's your relationship to uh, Captain America? So it would be comic-wise, Civil War time frame. So mid-2000s, I was reading a lot of comics with uh, Captain America, and then I've kind of stopped reading, and now I've about the last two months started really getting into comics again, but it's really that civil war time frame of, of comic runs that I'm, I was really into. And then obviously all the MCU stuff. And then as far as my relationship with, with this show and these characters, um, I think I viewed it very heavily from how they handled the, the veteran perspective, the mental health perspective, the effects of, uh, of war, major trauma, major transitions. Um, so that's that's what I was watching for, probably with a with a closer eye. But of course, uh, this series hit you know about eight hundred different social issues very very well, very tactfully, and in a way that was digestible for people. Um, and and I thought that was really great. But that that's the one that really caught my eye, just because I can't help but kind of view things through that through that lens but you know we mentioned 1990s captain america movie i think that was directed by was that roger corman mm-hmm. i don't know if you know but roger corman was in silence of the lands which is the most recent flashbacks <laughs> episode nice. we we're, we're we're not gonna get in it, it wasn't roger corman but let me tell you a little bit I know the director of the 1990 film we've had correspondence because back when i did flashbacks for a while I was going to get him on the show and it just never. So there's, there's been some interesting conversations. We'll have to talk. Nice. Well, also joining us is Tiffany Saunders. And now Tiffany had been on our black Panther episode back in 2018. We're very happy to have you back. And actually you're kind of the impetus for this whole episode because uh, basically we were messaging on like a Saturday morning after having seen the most recent episode. And I was like, you know what, we should do a uh, recap podcast when this is all over. So thank you so much for joining us again. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be here. So um, I'm the oldest of three girls, so did not grow up with uh, comics in my life. Um, really got introduced um, 
sort of jumped in feet first into all of this when my son was born. So um, I entered the world of superheroes as an adult. So I don't have that same um, sort of experience, but got into or came to understand this specific sort of storyline um, while I was in grad school, um, taking a methods class. We covered the subject of ethics. And when you talk about ethics, you always talk about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. And so learned about that in the context of that class. Um, and then, you know, there's a movie, Miss Evers Boys, about it. There's a book called Bad Blood. And then in the textbook, there was just one line that talked about this Marvel comic called, you know, Marvel, Marvel series, um, the truth series. And so then I went on a, you know, a hunt to find this. And I did in one of the local um, sort of comic book stores. So I spent um, a couple of days just kind of reading through that series and just coming to understand sort of Marvel's place and sort of talking about issues of race. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I continued to explore these ideas with my students. I work on some visual literacy. That's what I like to call it, where I try to get them to watch different things and then apply sort of class concepts um, to those things that they're watching. So that's how I try to keep this, this going um, for future generations. I'm sure they probably see me as a nerd. Um, so now I'm a nerd for different reasons. I was a nerd always in high school, but now I guess I'm a nerd for different reasons, right? Once you start really talking about comics and things like that people you you enter into a different realm and i'm happy to take on that 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 label <laughs> but we we are in a time where nerds run the world and as you we mentioned in the black panther episode you're a professor of sociology at, at uis and uh it's very cool that you use those contemporary ideas in these billion dollar film franchises to really get together and, and be able to put lessons into students heads and you know it's, it has me where I want to get on a slight soapbox about Disney because uh, this is going as a bonus episode on the Beyond the Mouse feed. Of course, if you're not used to hearing us on Beyond the Mouse, you should definitely subscribe over in that feed. But I will say that uh, we always hear that Disney is a, a child's company, right? And I think that what is happening now are, are two things. One, with the acquisitions that they've had, they are going into much more adult fare with things like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, things like WandaVision, all the MCU properties, even the Star Wars franchises that have been going darker with The Mandalorian and other um, TV shows and properties that are going to be coming up in the future. But I think also Disney has done such a great job of being a socially conscious company. And I understand that they are a major corporation and it's difficult to root on a major corporation. But at the same time, uh, they do it in a way that I think allows for the social discussions around their films and properties to be something that um, can hopefully advance some type of social justice or can advance some ideal um, or allow for representation within their films. I think that they're doing a much better job at that now, particularly in their animated films and the characters that they're bringing into those We've talked to a lot of creative people throughout the Disney company over the last year on Beyond the Mouse, and the through line is that they all want to allow for uh, people to be able to see themselves in their films. And that's all people, not just certain types of people. And so I think that that is something that the Disney company has been doing well. And, and to me, that that transcends the traditional idea of what Disney was as a company and kind of goes into what they are. And so I wanted to get on that soapbox for just a second to explain why we're doing this episode the way we are. And that's gonna be to talk more about the overarching theme of this show, and then also go into some subplots with that. Uh, and I think what we'll do is build 
build up to Sam. Uh, and we will kind of reverse the order from what I initially had thought I would do because I think it would make for a, a better conversation that way. But the first thing I want to do is talk more about the shield as a symbol and maybe kind of briefly uh, talk to me about your thought of Captain America as a symbol, because that is something that's come through quite a bit in this particular show. Uh, and that idea, that symbol of the Captain America shield, really iconic. No other symbol out there. Maybe Superman's S, maybe Batman's Bat. This is an iconic symbol, and they really brought that symbolism into the show. So, Tiffany, I'll start with you. Uh, your thoughts on the symbolism of the shield? Yeah. So I I thought about the symbolism of the shield and in terms of um, Sam in particular and really thinking about um, this sort of storyline that's developing about why he doesn't take on the shield um, immediately. And so I think, you know, it's not about, you know, him not feeling like he's inadequate or not ready, but more about an awareness that, you know, America and maybe the world is not ready for a a Black man. He recognizes, you know, his his sort of location as a black man in the world. So really thinking about the world not being ready for him um, to really take on uh, on that shield immediately. Um, and so I think you know we watch him grapple with that um, throughout the series, and him um, I don't know not really. So it's very interesting to watch sort of the uh, conversation that goes back and forth sort of between him um, and the Winter Soldier about about this whole idea. But I think, you know, he's very clear in the world not being ready. And so that's that's where he is sort of taking his stance from the beginning. Jay, what about you? What are your thoughts about the shield as a symbol? Yeah, and and I agree. Uh, I agree with with. Tiffany's assessment. And I think something popped into my head too. You know, there's, there's been uh, talk of a run of uh, a black Superman uh, coming, coming out in the comics and which cool. Let's, let's check it out. I'm, I'm interested, but you, you already see the, that's not the Superman. I grew up, you know, you see all that, like, my God, can we, can we see a new story? Can we get a new perspective? So like we're, we, I, I don't know that Sam is uh, is off in, in some of his assessment, but the the Captain America as a symbol and you know especially his his shield and uh, absolutely so this this might go into my quality as a parent, but everything that looks like even the slightest hint of an American flag, uh, my my five year old just says, "Hey, it's Captain America symbol. It's Captain America. Everything's Captain America." uh, in, in his eyes, which hey, I'm, I'm cool with that. But with that, with this show, I don't sit and watch this show with my, my five-year-old just, there's, there's probably some themes. He just is like, I don't, this is boring me, even though it's heavy stuff for, for you and I to, to see. But anytime he hears the action scene, he just, you hear his little feet running through the house and he runs in and stands in front of the TV. Uh, and he, and he's watching. And then it gets to that point where, uh, Sam is no longer Falcon. He is Captain America. And and he looks at it and he just, you know, all of us here, we're, we're talking about, wow, it's the, we've just put uh, a black man in the in the Captain America role on TV. This is pretty, pretty huge deal. They've done it in the comics. Pretty big deal because this is out to the masses now. And my son just like, he has wings now. 
And he's look at those goggles. What's up with those goggles? That's awesome. And I just, I just absolutely love that perspective. The mouths of babes, like just, you know, the, the skin color issues, like what, what? No, he's got wings. That's what I, you know, I just absolutely love that. His takeaway is like, I like, they just improved this guy. This is awesome. I love the upgrade. <laughs> you just got an upgrade. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's none of those social issues. And I think it's really, really awesome that, that my son gets to, you know, uh, grow up and see that. And it's just like, it's just, that's just what it is. It's just normal, you know? And so I think as a symbol, there's, there's that, but I think this show does such a great job with the symbolism. There's the time John Walker bashes a dude's head in with the shield and it's covered in blood. You know, that was, uh, just really slow-mo shots of blood dripping off of that. And then, Sam getting his hands on it and trying to scrub the blood off. I mean, trying to get the stain of blood off of that. I mean, that was heavy uh, symbolism for me. And I thought very, very effective. And I think what it is, it's, it's not just, you know, Captain America, Steve Rogers. It's, it's like you said, it's, it's about being something bigger, being something better uh, than, than what you think you can be. Absolutely. Scott, your thoughts on the symbolism, and then we'll go into more of the uh, specific storylines as we go about. Well, I'm, I'm glad that uh, Tiffany pointed out the whole idea that uh, he was giving up the shield, not because he didn't think that he was ready. It was a question of, was everyone else ready? And I think that was really hit home on uh, episode five when, because I was seeing online a lot of people saying, you know, well, uh, he didn't feel he was ready, but that really wasn't the point. Uh, in terms of the shield, you know, it's... It, it, you mentioned the Superman S and the Batman bat uh, along with it. I think it's important that all those symbols have been around for almost a hundred years. The cap shield, although it was more of an interstate shield at the time, but it was with timely comics before Marvel was even around. And and Jay, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, having more superheroes kind of uh, change their color. Well, there is a lot of uh, rumor flying around that the J.J. Abrams pr- produced Superman movie they're working on is going to have Michael B. Jordan as Superman. So, but no, I think it's really important to point out that Cap has always symbolized what we can be, not the United States of America. I mean, uh, Cap quit in the comics when he uh, found out that a Nixon-like um, character in the 1970s was working for Hydra. Uh, and that's what actually got us nomad and U.S. agent and everything else. So Cap has never been uh, somebody who is just a symbol of a government. It's a symbol of a way of life. And I think Sam points it out in his uh, his speech. He says, I don't have a superpower except for uh, I think we can be better. So I think that's that's Cap in a nutshell, no matter which Cap you're looking at. So, yeah, you know, I think that that's all really good. That's all really good. Um thoughts on the symbol. And now I think what we can do is get into some of the individual storylines. And I think I might actually uh, throw you all for a loop a little bit. I think I want to start with Bucky and uh, his storyline, because I think what that will do is really inspire the conversation uh, to move forward a bit. And so um, Bucky is thought of in this particular show. We, we see him, uh, his transformation in Winter Soldier, to me, still the best MCU film out there. Sorry, Endgame. Sorry, Infinity War. I love that, that, that film. But he's brought to Wakanda. 
he uh, essentially is reformed and we get to see that a little bit. And then we see him going through uh, court mandated therapy sessions. But I also want to talk to his about his reliance to there being a Captain America, because he even says it in this, he says it in this TV show that uh, there has to be a Captain America because he needs there to be a Captain America. And I think that that's so uh, interesting and that dichotomy for his character is so great. So let's start with Bucky. We'll go around the, the uh, horn quick on that and then we'll kind of move into some of the other characters as well but jay i'm going to start with you here because i think that there is you know you talked about the veterans issues and bucky is a world war ii veteran right but also been through a lot of uh very interesting situations in his time as the winter soldier but when you're talking ptsd it seems like this is a character that is really some of those ideas are being put right into perspective here for the audience to see yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you know, he's a, a brainwashed hitman, you know, quite a bit different. But but I think the parallels are pretty, pretty clear in, in how they're uh, presenting this stuff, his grief uh, over his action, over those traumas, uh, the long term effect of it. And I, I don't know, I think it was really great. The conversation he was he had periodically with his uh, therapist were were great. Uh, she was fantastic. I thought Scott disagrees, but I liked it because I can tell you the 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 fluffy. We're here to help you. That it doesn't work with his his, his breed, man. His his where he's coming from. It doesn't work. I can tell you because that they tried that crap with me, and I said, "Cool, I'm just gonna go get a, like a private person and pay for it myself." Because you guys aren't really hitting the mark for for me because. They're tiptoeing around. She just said, no, no BS. Here's the deal. Talk to me. I like that a lot. I thought that was, was real. And it's been effective uh, for me personally, totally different issues, just to be very clear on what I'm saying here, but I do. I liked his arc and, and what he really said. He said, I, I need you to be captain America. Cause, cause Steve picked you. And if Steve's wrong about you, then he's wrong about me. Mm-hmm. And I think that goes into the the team thing, the the camaraderie thing. Like that's, and I think that's kind of why, not to veer off into Walker, but I think that's his kind of thing. Sorry, sorry, sorry. But I think that's he's always talking about team, team, team. Man, that's 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 what we live for. That's what I live for. I want a life of of teams. Uh, where we're constantly supporting each other, helping each other. And I think, you know, Steve was the rock for their team. He's off. We don't know either died he's an on old the man moon. or he's on the yeah, doing, doing whatever he's doing in the, in the MCU. So now it's, it's these two and they're trying to fill shoes that are epically huge in their eyes. And, you know, Bucky's the old man, you know, in, in the pair, but he is so reliant uh, on the guidance of Sam. And uh, I don't know. I like that. I like that a lot. I, I understand that uh, having that, that team that you can always rely on somebody else to help with that, that burden of responsibility that he's feeling for those, those past actions that were out of his control, the past actions that were in his control and, and have somebody help with the burden. And And I love, there's the part eventually where, Sam's like, you know, no BS. Let, let's, you got to put the work in. Mm-hmm. You can't just go avenge things and feel good about it. You need to go amend things to feel 
to make those people feel better about it. That's how you overcome your grief. Not by, not by trying to make yourself happy, make those people you affected in a potentially negative way. So all these things uh, I, I found very, very powerful and I liked his arc and, and just to touch since, since Tiffany was on the black Panther episode, I do really like how they, they reference. I kind of would like to see him dig into it a little more kind of the, the therapy he went through uh, in Wakanda, you know, while with his time there. Uh, and I'm going to screw it. What is he? The white wolf. Now he's not the winter soldier. He's, he's the white wolf. And that, that was some of the therapy. And, and I think, you know, it's kind of hinted at and, and black Panther kind of hinted at, but I think that would be a very intriguing thing to uh, explore uh, that they had a pretty major effect on one rewiring his brain and then trying to get him in that right headspace. And we do get to find out that Steve and Bucky had a conversation about giving Sam the shield. So we, that is also told to us and really forms this dynamic with Sam. The buddy cop relationship uh, really is formed in those first couple of episodes, in particular episode number two, where they have the therapy session together and they do the staring contest. And um, it's where that those bits of brevity that come into this more uh, heavier storyline that Bucky is going through that I really appreciate. And that's what kind of like, one of the mainstays, the cornerstones of Marvel films and Marvel properties is that uh, brevity that can be brought into a serious situation. Tiffany, your thoughts on Bucky in particular? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to be kind of brief because um, just to be honest, it, it, he wasn't the character that I spent the most time sort of analyzing while I was watching um, the show. But I think there's, you know, as I was, as you asked the question and then as I was listening to um, Jay speak, I was thinking about um, what Scott said when he said, you know, Captain America is really about what we can be and like that's what his image is. And so it makes perfect sense then that but you know Bucky in particular would be relying on him um, because he needs some of that I think that's keeping him grounded in some sense Um, it's part of his moral compass in some sense and so you know I think to um, as Jay has pointed out to sort of overcome some of the things that he experienced um, as a soldier he needs that that image to help remind him of what's possible and that he doesn't always have to be that killer person, I think. Um, so yeah, I I think that for he's just um, as tied to that idea as sort of the country is, I guess, or the world is, right? So he's more tied to the sort of idea, I think, in, of Captain America in a in in, in perhaps a way. Um, that's deeper than even um, John Walker is, right? Um, who I know we'll talk about um, a little bit later. So I'll just stop there because I know I saw Scott, so I see he has lots to contribute here. So, <laughs> do you, Scott? Do you have lots to contribute? Well, you, you guys keep like fawning over this therapist. I want to point out in the scene that Craig fawned over too with the, the therapy session between the two of them. Bucky had a breakthrough, and she didn't do anything to support that breakthrough at all he he had a breakthrough the whole steve said you could do this and if he's wrong about you he's wrong about me and she lets him walk away and says i've seen that face before are you okay no no he's not and you're terrible at your job so sorry the therapist was terrible i completely (laughs) i completely completely get what where jay's coming from yeah you you can't baby these guys i get that but when your client or your has a breakthrough as huge as that 
you don't let him walk out of the room. Period. But okay, so that's my Hang issue. There, what uh, is she supposed to kidnap him? What, what, <laughs> she didn't, she didn't say a word. She didn't say a word. She, she said nothing except for I've seen that face before. Are you okay? No, no, he's not okay. <laughs> you can't see that. You're a terrible therapist. Okay, I mean, I, 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 I actually, you know, one of the, you know, when at the end of this, obviously, it changes the title card to Captain America and the Winter Soldier. I actually wish they would have gone for it and changed the title to Captain America and the White Wolf, but I, I get that that is less in the moniker than Captain America, but we got a very good arc of Bucky throughout this uh, to a point where it's not just him dealing with his PTSD. That's obviously very important, but he's also doing what Steve did in the movies. He's starting to realize he can be a part of this civilization that he was not a part of. And, you know, Jay, you mentioned that he's the older guy. If you look at it and the time that he's been brainwashed and everything else, he's the youngest of the three between Steve, Sam, and him because he was in his, what, 20s when he got sent off to war. He got brain wiped in the 40s and he didn't come back until the second movie of Cab, Winter Soldier. And then he lost another five years. So the dude is still in his 20s developmentally but also has been an assassin for 80 years so he's gone through a lot but it's just the little stuff that they do for him like at the end where he's playing with the kids and he's dealing with all that but even during the end fight he he corners the rest of the flag smashers because he learned how to use an app that that's that was amazing to me because it was bucky figuring out his way of being able to incorporate himself into this world where he didn't think he could be a part of it. And he is now becoming a part of it. He is being a support mechanism for Sam. He is doing his own things and he can use an Android phone, which is amazing. I like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I, I think that what we can do is we can go ahead and move uh, away from Bucky. And I, I want to, you know, there's a lot to, to touch on with Bucky. I wanted to talk about uh, Zemo when I talked about Bucky as well. But uh, Zemo, I think, is not going anywhere. I think he's coming back uh, from the raft. Uh, we see him at the very end, of course. We see his butler uh, end up taking out some of the flag smashers. And, you know, I, I think that he is going to be something, somebody to do with the Thunderbolts or Thunderbolt Ross or whatever from the raft. Scott, you have your hand up. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in school. I just want to say one thing about Zemo. Again, the, uh, the whole, this show show dealt with all of its characters very, very well. And Zemo, they made sure that he is very much true to himself throughout every, he's getting, he's given a couple different times there where he could decide, okay, to move my effort forward, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to take the super soldier serum. Now, I'm going to crush it. He's, he's very true to it. And I also want to point out he is Marvel's Batman because he has an Alfred and he is a billionaire and his only power is he's rich. So he is Batman. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but let's go ahead and move into talking about John Walker. So we've now had uh, Bucky and uh, we've, we've talked about his story arc a bit, but I want to talk about John Walker because he became really the antagonist, sort of the villainous character of this, especially at the end of what was that, the fourth episode, or I think it was around the fourth episode that uh, he does murder someone with the Captain America shield. And so it becomes uh, very evident that we're supposed to not like this guy. But Jay, I think that you have some insight into this and some thoughts on John Walker in particular as a character. 
yeah and, and it's interesting because in, in our side conversations when we weren't before we were recording <laughs> uh talking with uh scott on on him he said uh is it okay to still hate him but also understand you know where he's coming from a little bit i believe i said can i understand him and still want to punch him in the face oh there there it is yeah and i think that's true i do think and first of all just i know we're not getting into the acting but i think wyatt russell deserves from some uh credit for receiving an exorbitant amount of hate uh online but i think it's because of his great performance but uh i think I think he's a struggling individual. I think he's one that they didn't just make this uh, terrible, evil guy. I think he was a guy struggling to find his place, find his uh, purpose and, and figure out how to take on the mantle. So in this world, he has earned uh, three medals of honor, which I don't, you know, I don't think is a, uh, realistic thing uh i know you know there's maybe a couple others in history who've earned a couple but in this world in the mcu world like what what does that mean when you have people who fought a god who snapped his fingers and destroyed you know the lives of trillions of of life forms you know it's it's in this world, right? You got to put that in perspective. He's still kind of small fry compared to Steve Rogers as Captain America. So he's, you know, by all intents and purposes, he is a phenomenal soldier, phenomenal battlefield leader, all those things, but he's trying to fill these shoes. And um, I think there is a lack of confidence he has in taking it over. So I think, and we'll get into people claiming their right as Captain America. You know, I think he did it to psych himself up. And I think, you know, eventually he he seemed egomaniacal about it a little bit. You know, I'm the leader. I'm Captain America. You follow me. This is how we do it. But I think it was still from a place of inadequacy. He's still trying to prove he's the leader with uh, Steve Rogers, Captain America's, you know, go-to guys, Winter Soldier and Falcon. And and throughout the show, they are one step ahead of him. He always shows up and they're already there. Uh, yeah. uh, and, and sometimes already in the middle of trying to take care of things when he shows up. So I think his, uh, what comes across as as being egocentric is really about from a place of inadequacy trying to prove he is worthy of that banner he is worthy of being in that uh position and then on top of all that he kills a guy no part of that is is justifiable but i think it's understandable when you throw in the fog of war stuff he clearly first of all if a guy's earned three medals of honor he has at least three times in his life where there has been something traumatic. I mean, it, it, these are not easily easy things to deal with for the rest of your life. And he, he has three of them. So I think there's definitely some mental health issues. They hint at, they don't dive into. And then with the fog of war stuff, that guy he killed, you know, he's part of the team that murdered his go-to guy, his right-hand man, his best friend, uh, from what I gathered, his best friend in this world. 
So in his eyes, we're in war. You killed my guy. I'm going to kill you. And I think there's probably, you know, historical precedent. I'll keep this short so we can move, move on to the next person. But uh, World War II, you know, I'll, I'll, even shorter, I'll keep it with Saving Private Ryan. We covered that. You should go back in time and check that episode out. But there's the scene right after the, uh, they, they storm the beach and the Germans are surrendering and they pop, pop. Right. There's stories of that. And those are, those are real events that happen. It's, it's, we don't like these guys. We hate them. They're, they've been trying to kill us. So does that mean it's right that he took that action? Absolutely not. Can we understand why he maybe was at that place? I absolutely think uh, that we can. I don't, yeah, he's, he, he's, his actions just make you so mad in this world where superheroes are there trying to make, uh, these right decisions and he's just making really questionable decisions over and over again. But I, I think, I think we can understand him. I don't think he's a flat character. We should just hate. I think we should really look into the, why he is the way he is. Well, and I think we're going to get a lot more of him uh, later as well. Much like Zemo, I think that, uh, you know, we were all surprised by the cameo and then the ongoing role now of uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus into the MCU as Val or Madame Hydra, as most uh, people are assuming that she is. And, you know, she pronounces him as U.S. agent at the end of this. And I think that we are going to get a lot more of John Walker moving forward. Uh, you know, Jay, I think you did such a good job of kind of surmising that perspective on him. And that's what I really wanted to dive into because I think the other surface level stuff is very easy to do. But I do want to let uh, Tiffany or Scott uh, chime in if we wanted to, or we can go ahead and move along to the, the next subset of our characters here. You want me to give you the surface level now? Is that what you're telling me? Sure. Give me the surface level. That's, that's <laughs> no. what you're good for. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, I, I, I don't want to sugarcoat it, though. When we keep saying that Walker killed a guy, he decapitated a guy. A guy who, by the way, idolized Captain America, the original one, and a guy who is sitting there saying, I didn't do this, and Walker knows he didn't do this. So yeah, I completely understand that, yes, in his mindset with the mental issues he's having, I completely understand. I do not condone, though, and the fact that it wasn't just a killing, it was a decapitation that is a problem. And I I will always remember that when he is U.S. agent, he's never going to be a hero to me in that uh, role, which is, I think, what they're going for, which is fine. But I do like the fact that there is um, uh, a very good arc with him. At the beginning, the whole idea of him saying over and over again, he's Captain America, I think Jay's right. I think it is him feeling inadequate. But when we get to a part where he's playing with the sirens on the cop car and say, telling Sam to not get in my way, he's now moved into arrogance. Uh, but at the end of the, the, this time, when he's saving the truck and making that sacrifice of not going after the person who killed his friend, to saving the hostages in the truck, he has realized his place and the ability to um, do some good. So I think there's, a, it's a, he definitely is not a flat character at all. And I do think that uh, Russell really played him in a way that I do want to punch him right in the face, but he, he played him really, really well. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Madam Hydra too. It's interesting, and this is just meta stuff, but this is actually the second time we were supposed to meet her. Mm-hmm. she's in the black widow movie they've kind of they've they've said that now but the black widow movie was supposed to come out two years ago at this point 
Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't. <laughs> well, so and that, I mean, that, of course, COVID changed uh, around all the timelines here because yeah. WandaVision was supposed to be the second show, which honestly, I think, uh, again, this is way tangent. I'm just going to throw it out there and not let any of you respond. I think that they did. I think it actually worked out better to, for them that WandaVision went first because it was such an out there and odd show. I think it drew in a new audience because it became something that people were talking about from a week to week basis. And then uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier did go back to, and I, I again, I think it's, uh, it would be, it would discredit the show to say that it's a more standard MCU fair because it's still going into a lot of huge issues. But I just think that WandaVision was so much different than what we are used to that I think that that did draw in an audience that then carried over to Falcon and the Winter Soldier that maybe might not have uh, had they not done that. I did say that no one could respond to that, Scott. Um, well, no, I, I had something else about Walker that has nothing okay. to do with Go ahead, real quick. The other thing I wanted to point out too is, you know, we talk about him being thrust into the Captain America role, and yes, he is, he's won an obscene amount of Medal of Honors, but I don't, I think they also going to, out of the way to point out, he hasn't earned the moniker of Captain America, and they do that in the one scene in the Jeep where he's, uh, where uh, Bucky says, Steve jumped on a grenade. Well, and then Walker says, well, I've done that four times. I use a reinforced helmet and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, you have been trained to do this. You have been built up to do this and that's great. But Steve was this. And I think that's another thing that Walker doesn't have that I think Sam does, but we'll talk about Sam later. Yeah. And so Tiffany, did you have any thoughts on John Walker? Do you want to go ahead and move along? Um, I'll just say this really quick thing. And um, I mean, I, I um, was thinking about this notion of military training transferring over to the civilian world, this notion, this idea of um, taking orders versus making decisions. So I think, you know, part of what Jay is talking about is some of that sort of complicated um the, the sort of complicated aspect of what it takes to, to being in the military versus what it takes to being sort of Captain America. Because Captain America is always thinking about the image of America before you act, right? How can I uphold sort of that, that sort of image? Um, and I think what's happening in sort of times of war is slightly different, right? Like it's not, it, you know, the image is different. The image you're trying to uphold is different. And, you know, when you're in the midst of a battle, um, versus when you're sort of Captain America. So I think that that's also sort of this sort of nuance that's in there that that we could probably spend the rest of this talking about, but we won't. We should move on to the next topic. <laughs> well, I'm going to stay right with you because I want to talk about Carly Morgenthau and the Flag Smashers and the Global Repatriation Council uh, in particular. And I want to talk about um, that idea, because I, I think much like Walker, they gave us more, you know, uh, the antagonist of this was supposed to be the Flag Smashers. In the comic books, the Flag Smashers are very easy to hate. But in this, they're much more difficult to hate. That That is kind of like the um, thought that went into the writing of the show is that we had to give these uh, different characters complexity because that just makes the story that much more rich because you can see their point of view. Uh, they are living through the blip in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What we all said was the snap for a year while we were waiting between Infinity War and Endgame to come out. Um, but of course, they weren't there to see Thanos snap his fingers, so they call it the blip. And we got a little bit about how that impacted the uh, whole universe when we saw Spider-Man 
Spider-Man Far From Home. We got a little bit more of it even when we got to see WandaVision. Now we're really getting some uh, real true world impact in that this group of Flag Smashers is arguing that life was better for them or for lots of people when half of the world was gone. And how are we going to handle these people coming back into their old positions or into their own lives um, after five years? And so it's just a, a really interesting take and interesting way to do this. But I'm going to start with Tiffany on this one. Yeah, so um, I know others will get at sort of the significance of that in terms of sort of the comics and things like that. So I'm a sociologist, so I'm like, what's the application to like the world that we're we're living in today? And so, you know, I think about, I was thinking about that in, in a number of different ways. So we often relocate people for a number of different reasons. And part of that relocation, um, while we may feel like it's right, um, often comes without understanding the, the cost to the people that are being relocated, um, what it takes to actually have your sort of life uprooted and then placed in, in, and you move to a new place. But also, um, you know, that relocation is often done largely inadequately. Um, there's often needs that needs that go unmet during those um, relocations as well. But I think what I sort of took from this more than anything, again, coming from a social scientist, um, is thinking about, you know, that group that's making the, the decisions. Um, I think there's a, a huge and pretty clear parallel to what, you know, the United Nations, the UN, but I, I think about, you know, the people making the decisions versus the people who are impacted by those decisions and how um, in this instance in particular, it was unclear if the people making the decisions had been impacted by the blip. So was it easy to make these decisions because you didn't experience those things? And so, um, and oftentimes that is the case. The people who are making the decisions about things are not the people who are actually experiencing them. And so, you know, I think there's a little bit of gray area in that regard that I actually really appreciate it in terms of really dissecting, you know, what, what Carly is saying, what she's saying um, throughout that whole sort of, you know, her story arc throughout that whole thing um, in terms of like, how does that apply to the world that we live in today? And so I really, I really like the ability to kind of um, think outside of that world and that universe. And that's something that I think Marvel does really, really well for us is giving us um, tools, examples that if we're paying attention enough, we can apply to the world in which we're actually living in as well. Um, I don't know, maybe someone, someone else on here can talk about what's our blip, what's our blip example? Like what's our modern day blip that we sort of lived through? Was it COVID? I don't know. <laughs> maybe. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's interesting, but uh, Scott, what are your thoughts about uh, the GRC and Carly Morgenthau's Flag Smashers, all that? I love that Tiffany's like, somebody else can talk about how they were in the comics, the Flag Smasher in the comic. <laughs> this ain't it. <laughs> Yeah, the Flag Smashers in the comics were very easy to hate. <laughs> like, it was just a, a much different uh, setup. And um, yeah, they, they were a lot worse of a group for sure. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I love the fact that they really tried to paint this as a picture where there is no right side. Uh, and you have the, the Flag Smashers who, again, I, I don't think there's ever been a time in our noble history where we've lost half the population thankfully but so I, I'm, I'm happy for that but 
I think what you run into here is you've got folks who really did probably came out of the blip, uh, the snap, whatever you want to call it, better than before. They may not had a job. And now I'm assuming unemployment's at zero after half the population is gone. They've probably got a better house. And now all of a sudden, five years later, somebody reappears in that house and says, this is mine and I have the paperwork. Somebody reappears and says, I want my job back based on seniority and whatever and so forth and so on. So they're probably in a worse place now than what they were before, because now the governments have had five years where they don't have the income from seven point whatever billion people. Uh, and so they're having to deal with that. So you're having a lot of the issues. The one thing with Carly, uh, and I, I, I mentioned this before, is I really didn't like that they made her turn so bad to where she made it easy for killing. I Thinking about this more, I think if one of her uh, counterparts, one of her other super soldiers was the one being a little bit more maniacal, I think it would have been better for the story. Because Carly is, tr- they try to make Carly into a redemptive character at the end, and I get that, but she's really can't be redeemed when she's blown up buildings and killed people and done all that stuff. So I think they they sent her a little bit too off the deep end. But in total, the idea of the flag smashers was very much something where you know any of us could be involved in that if we had to deal with the same situation they're dealing with. And I like the fact that they even point out, even when the super soldiers are about ready to be blown up by Batman's Butler, (laughs) there's a cop who is supporting them, putting them into the van. This is not about those five or six super soldiers. This is about a group of people who have been wronged by their situation. And it's no one's fault. It's Thanos's fault, but they've been wronged by it. Um, and the same with the, uh, I think Sam points out really well in his his speech. He points out that the GRC maybe can make a better decision now because they know how it's been to be uh, held captive by uh, and uh, be kidnapped and um, done all of that to them because they've had they have that experience now. Even if it was only for a few minutes, they have that experience. You know, and and that is a, a perfect jumping in point. Uh, Jay, did you have any thoughts on the GRC or Carly, or can we go straight into Sam? Very, very brief, but to riff off Tiffany, you know, she said it's the the rule makers and the people affected by the rules. What I think they did, you know, because Marvel's always been really good about these real world situations. Um, I think that that was kind of their, you know, X-Men's kind of the obvious uh, one you look at. But I think they've always been really good at these real life parallels. So that's where I'll cut myself off. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think now it, it is time to talk about uh, the man that this whole series is based around, uh, and that's Sam Wilson, and uh, his really ascent to become Captain America in a way that, you know, when, when this was first announced, uh, I immediately went on to Facebook and I said, you know, they got to call this Captain America in the Winter Soldier. He's no longer the Falcon. Steve's given him the shield. And I, uh, everyone at the time, of course, was like, well, they're going to do the whole series where he's, he's coming to the shield. And yes, uh, and now that I've seen the six episodes, I'm glad that they did that. But at the time, I'm just like, he is Captain America. Let's see what the fallout's going to be to that. Because um, that to me is an interesting story as well. And one that we really haven't gotten in this series there's a lot of people in that crowd at the end that are cheering him on as captain america there are going to be a lot of people out there in uh lots of parts of america and the world that are not going to accept him as captain america and i'm sure that that will be something that will come up uh whether that be in captain america 4 whatever uh medium they decide to bring that and present that to us in but 
just an incredible, uh, first of all, Anthony Mackie is just such great casting for this. He's, he's just perfect. He's always been perfect as Sam from that first moment where he's running around the mall and Steve says on your left, like the, everything about this man has a, a perfect quality to him to take up the mantle of Captain America. And I, uh, to me, it was one of my favorite uh, runs in the comics when Sam got the shield because it makes so much sense. And uh, the character, he does such a great job of representing this ideal of, of what it would be like to have someone that doesn't, auto- that doesn't look like John Walker or Steve Rogers in the role of Captain America and what that would mean to the country as a whole and to them as an individual. And I think that Sam Wilson carries all that weight with him, uh, whether that's trying to get a loan at a bank in the first episode, which I know in our thread that we had uh, was a slightly a controversial in terms of the the scene that was done mainly because I think that we were kind of like, we didn't necessarily like the actor that was the banker in that particular scene, but the thought of the actual scene and what happened there uh, is, is so important. This idea of the boat as a metaphor for uh, rebuilding basically what it means to be Captain America and rebuilding that idea and striving for you know, like this is the family boat that is now decrepit and uh, we need to get this back to where it's uh, able to function again and seeing this is a shield that's been around for so long and we need to get it back to a place where it can function again. I I just thought that that was just an amazing thing that they did. Uh, And that doesn't even mention Isaiah Bradley. So uh, I know that we all want to talk about Sam. I think that I'm going to start with Tiffany first, and then uh, certainly we can go around to everyone else as well. But Tiffany, your thoughts on Sam's ascent and what this whole storyline has focused on him becoming Captain America. Yes, I'll try to keep it kind of brief um, as well. So I I like that boat metaphor as well. I took a lot of time sort of thinking about that. So it's, you know, it's the rebuilding aspect, but I'm also thinking about like, you know, Bucky coming in to help um, finish off the boat, the community really being excited about um, helping to make sure the boat was um, was was um, restored. And it it got me to thinking about, you know, him as Captain America being a symbol of sort of, um, you know, what's possible for a Black man. Um, and, and in thinking about in terms of race is that, you know, these sorts of things is not just going to take, you know, Sam to do that. It's going to take Sam with, it's going to take the work of Black and whites. It's going to take the work of an entire community, right, in order to heal some of the things that um, surround us in terms of race. So I, I sort of thought about that in terms of, of, of the boat as well. But I think the other thing um, that, I, that I sort of drew on was his sort of needing to understand um, Isaiah Bradley's story, needing to understand how he fit into this whole um, group of individuals that he felt like he knew um, really well. And so part of his ability to take on um, the shield and to take on this identity of Captain America is also based on needing to sort of make right the things that happen with Isaiah Bradley as well. It's this idea of needing to carry on the sort of 
the burdens and trials of your ancestors, right? So I think for him, it was really important that he came to understand that story, spent the time with him to really get to know, get to know him and get to know what happened to him. But also, you know, you take on the shield, but then you also make sure that he's properly recognized. So like by the end, he, you know, he does that as well. So I think, you know, for him to take it on, it again, I said this from the beginning, it's not about him. And I think he understood that, right? So it's about it's about the the country, maybe the world, but it's also about these people, you know, like the people that look like you um, and who are depending on you. And so I thought that that was a really sort of interesting maybe subtle um, theme that was running through through the through this series as well. So I'll stop there. So others. <laughs> well, and I, but I do want to mention you came to uh, you mentioned about reading in grad school, the the issues. It's a seven seven issue run. It's called the truth. It's called truth, which actually was the same uh, as one of the episode titles as well. Uh, I think that that was episode five that was called truth. And so talk to me about you, what you thought about bringing the Isaiah Bradley story line into this uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe? So I really, you know, I think if you don't know that, um, if you don't know the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, that's one thing, there's probably aspects of what they're doing that you don't even understand. I think there's something else that they did in there too. There was this um, mention of like red tails, I think at some point, which is a nod to the Tuskegee Airmen Right. So there was all of this connection to Tuskegee and and that particular nod was about going over and fighting and then coming back and not, you know, having the same freedoms and things like still fighting for freedoms in your own particular in your own country. And so I think that the reason why I like this is, you know, there was these historical threads that um hopefully will make people go and do a little bit more more research. But I liked Isaiah Bradley because, you know, I think part of what his story tells us is that, you know, some of the advances that we've made as a country have been built on the backs of um, Black individuals without the reward for that, right? So he talks about being in prison, which is also interesting to think about when we think about the prison industrial complex, the disproportionate incarceration of people of color and especially black men, right? So I think there's like really a lot of subtle but complicated, but not so subtle (laughs) things that are happening that you have to piece together a number of threads that I think they did in a fairly sophisticated way that will hopefully get people to kind of go and explore some of these threads in history a bit more. And it puts together a foundation that can then move forward with this character. And it's just really interesting to me because um, it, it, to me, it, I would have never thought that the Isaiah Bradley storyline would get such a spotlight in the show. And I'm so glad that it did because as you said, it, it really helps um paint this picture and give us some of the history that we would have missed uh, in just a regular public school education. And, and so it really helps us dive deeper into uh, to all of those issues. Um, Jay, I want to go to you next uh, about Sam and about his ascent to cap. Yeah. And, and I just, I want to riff too off of the, uh, the Isaiah Bradley stuff. Cause I had never, I was like, who is this dude? I was, I wasn't familiar when I saw him on the screen. So, you know, I looked it up and, and read the, uh, read the series. 
I think after the first or second episode and uh, whew, oh, oh, that's a heavy series. Everybody should check it out, but oh, it's heavy. It is heavy, heavy. And especially like Tiffany said, you, you, you know, how closely it parallels a lot of, you know, the, the actual uh, history involved. It's, it's heavy stuff. So I, I also think that's really important that they got that character uh, on, on this show. And it was really impactful. And especially the way I think it, it created this dichotomy of ways to approach uh, the issue of, of race that they were looking at it from two different perspectives. Uh, Isaiah essentially went through hell uh, you know, Sam's had struggles, nothing close to what Isaiah went through. So he still has that positivity. So I think it created this really great dichotomy. Cause I think sometimes too, when you get on topics like this, they're like, here's the one voice that everyone agrees upon. So I think it was really nice to have that dichotomy. You know, these issues are complex. It's not just like what one person, uh, says, but to, to get into Sam moving into that, that role i i i just really liked liked the arc uh as a whole i liked that he had to build himself up to the point where you know the the argument was maybe people aren't ready and then i think i don't think he was like and now they're ready i think he was like and now they're going to be ready like mm-hmm. it's it's time and so that's the one line. I don't know if this was a separate uh discussion point that you know him making the announcement I'm Captain America. Um, I know, Craig, you know, you said you had a little issue with him making that statement. I actually think it was important because to me, I took from that as he's saying, I have a voice. I'm not going to let somebody else tell me I'm re- I can represent this symbol. I represent this symbol. Yeah. Um, and I think that was him exercising his voice and saying, not only am I exercising it, it matters and it's important. And, and I think so that my, I, I, and just to address that real quick, I didn't think my gripe was more, um, I had bought into this hype that, uh, you know, John Walker was saying he was Captain America every six seconds uh, when he was walking around. And so um, I, I would have, and Steve never did. Uh, and of course he does in like the, it was shown to me again and again, uh, the <laughs> PSAs from uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, but but really I, I just, I thought that it would be better if someone else declared it, but I understand what you're saying and why it's important that he did that. So I, I cede the point to you for sure. Um, He also said it like in his 60 city tour in the 1941 before he got shipped off. (laughs) Right. Well, there was a, right. He was a massive PR campaign for the government. (laughs) Whereas right now they're just trying to battle for, you know, what's this symbol mean? So I think the, the context of how they're, they're making the announcements were uh, a little different. And I, I have, sorry, what Scott? They say it's probably not gonna get good morning America now. Probably not. (laughs) I I gotta say when we very, very first see in the final episode, Sam as Captain America, I, I'm super not emotional. I am super, something's missing in my heart where there's supposed to be one. I had like a very visceral <laughs> reaction to him breaking through that, that window and doing obviously stuck the superhero landing. But then when he stands up and, and he has the suit, I was like, wow, this is making me feel all funny in my tummy. And I did not expect <laughs> <laughs> like it, it. I had such a, I just, 
because you guys were like i you guys were posting on social media, like finally it needs to happen I'm like yeah it's cool and then it happens and it happened in the most it's pretty it, cool it they're the not most, <laughs> his his suit in my opinion is the most comically accurate suit ever in uh superhero movies or superhero properties it is straight from the pages it is so amazing how um they, they just decided to rip it right off it's so great I, I real quick i'm sorry this is completely meta again but because they're doing this with his suit i, I thought to myself afterwards the X-Men are going to look amazing because it's not going to be any more black leather. Yeah, <laughs> Wolverine's right. going to be wearing yellow and blue. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, and you're right that that's a tangent. Uh, Jay, <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go back to you. I, I mean, I think that's just the point I wanted to end on was I was, they did such a good job building it up. It's so easy to be like, well, it's just a comic book movie. But man, they did so well with the the symbolism and the subtlety on these topics. And like I said, I I really just I do not react to like very much uh, at all with with the way I reacted to that. It really caught me off guard how like emotionally impactful I found that scene. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Scott, uh, your thoughts on Sam becoming Cap? You know, no, uh, no, I, I do react to movies that way. Marvel makes me tear up a lot. So does Pixar bastards always make me cry. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I think you guys have hit on all the points. I really, I, I, I love the fact that they were able to kind of show again, this arc of this character going from somebody who, um, has been gone for five years. Again, he was blipped out too. Uh, to having to figure out his life again with his family, having to figure out his place in the world, having to determine if the world is ready for him. Um, and yes, Craig, we, I loved the mortgage scene. I thought that was perfect for what somebody is going to go through. I think it was, I think it was good for, uh, showing off exactly where they are in their situation. Uh, and, and there's, when he does take on the suit and he does exclaim to, Patrock that he is Captain America. Well, no, it wasn't Patrock. It was some of the guards before then. Uh, it is him saying, okay, I'm here. You're going to have to deal with it. And again, I've already kind of mentioned it, but his one line, his speech says it all. I don't have any powers except for, I believe we can be better. And I think that is exactly what uh, Captain America is. And, uh, and as I mentioned too, he has something that Walker doesn't has, have. He, he has earned the title through his actions throughout his life. Uh, and it's not just, again, military action. It is him being a decent human being makes him earn the right to carry that shield. I think that we could talk about this show and these characters for forever. And uh, it might feel like we have uh, talked about it for an awful long time. Um, but I, I do want to begin to wrap up uh, and just say that this is this is the show that I wanted so bad. And they hit it in every way possible for me. I can understand that the the thought that some of the final episode might be have been done in a bit of a clunky way to try to wrap up some loose ends right at the end there. Um, but to me, that that was perfectly okay because of the payoff of that speech by Sam. And 
some online saying they'd rather see it in action than hear it as a speech. But I think this particular character needed to make that particular speech. And I think it's so resonant to not only this universe that uh, the Marvel uh, superheroes all play in, but also to our own society and uh, issues that are going on as this is even being presented to us as an audience. You know, it, 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 there were so many issues that seemed to correlate with episodes that were going on on a Disney Plus show. Uh, and it's incredible that they were able to bring this story together and to present it in such a way that really does honor the symbol, the tradition of Captain America. And I, I absolutely love that. So I'm going to go to uh, all of you for brief final thoughts. And also if you'd like to throw in there uh, what direction you'd like to see it go from there, but again, ask you to keep it a bit brief and I'm going to go uh, in reverse order from what we just did. So I'm going to go to Scott first. Well, they've already announced that they're making Captain America four. Uh, with the same showrunner who just did Captain America and the Winter Soldier. So I think uh, I'm looking forward to that. I think they're also going to have a season two of this. Uh, But with everything else with the MCU and what Kevin Feige has said over and over again, uh, these characters can intertwine. So um, everyone's thinking that Sharon Carter, who we didn't talk about at all, uh, is going to show up in the next Captain America movie. She may show up in Armor Wars and be the the villain to uh, War Machine. Uh, and what he's dealing with. I mean, they all kind of intertwine. So I'm looking forward to what's next. Uh, everyone can continue to tell me how DC is the adult version of these and how they are the more mature, but Marvel continues to knock it out of the park and keeps making us ask uh, questions. So, uh, and I want to mean by that is thematic questions, not questions of what's next. So uh, I love it. Uh, and Loki's next, bring it on. Awesome. Jay. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh I, I like that uh, Marvel's able to do this thing where they create these giant uh, events with, like I said, a, a <laughs> star traveling God who can snap his finger and kill half the universe and then come down and do these small, small air quotes, small in comparison to those massive events, uh, spy movies, but also able to layer it with just these really, really important for the time. Um, like, like Scott said, thematic issues that, that we want to hear about. I, I, what I really like is sometimes it gets when it, when it comes to this, those more serious issues, you know, you, you want to have, there's, there's some, sorry, I'm like rambling. There's some material where they dig in and get to the real, real, you know, nasty part of it and hard part of it. This is Marvel. It's, you know, generally lighthearted fair work, but they're able to do it in a way you're saying this, uh, go watch Lovecraft country and you'll see the difference in what I'm talking about. Um, they're able to do it in a way that's digestible for young and old and still be impactful uh, with, without getting into the stuff where you'd be like, Ooh, I don't think I want my kids to watch it. Well, and that's why I would argue that uh, and kind of to wrap up to where I was uh, talking about earlier, that that's why I think they are more impactful because they can be viewed by a wider audience and they know that. And I think that that's why they feel they have the responsibility to make sure that these stories have some weight to them and that they're not just um, completely surface level type superhero stories 
we got uh, some of those throughout our run, but I mean, think back to the 20 plus movies that have been done and there are themes and issues that you can draw from just about every single one of those movies. So uh, Tiffany, your final thoughts and where you might want to see where it goes from here. Yeah. So I, I was thinking about those things and issues as well. And, you know, the thing that I like that they do is they, they try to show how complicated it is. Right. So if we think about Killmonger, if we think about Thanos, if we think about, I mean, we're talking about John Walker and Sam, like these are complicated people, complicated sort of characters um, trying to navigate a complex world. And so I, you know, in a world that has complex issues. Right. And so in, in almost every instance, the solution, so you end up understanding where they're coming from and under, and then you're able to empathize, I think, with the solutions that they come up with as well. So I think, you know, they do a really good job of showing and demonstrating that the world is much more complex than we, we sort of take time to really think about and understand. Um, I'm looking forward to and really hoping the rumors are true that we'll get a second Um, season of this I'm really looking forward to seeing sort of you know what he does sort of moving forward but also how whatever it is that he does moving forward speaks to some of these broader issues that we we spent a little bit of time talking about so how does this um, help us reconcile that's a strong word because we're not going to reconcile but how does this sort of help us understand um some of the complicated nature and issues of race um in america what does it mean to have a black symbol in a country and in a world that has sort of complicated um a complicated sort of relationship when it comes to race right so obviously i'm thinking about someone like barack obama becoming president and like what that sort of so it's not quite parallel but i think there's some some things that they can draw on as they sort of move forward with it with this particular um character as well um in terms of having Black leadership um, sort of being the face of a, of a country, of a nation that has historically um, not, used that, not used those bodies in that way or not valued um, those bodies in that way. So um, I could see drawing on things like Black Lives Matter and like, you know, just really, I, I'm, there's some really complicated things that I think they could do with this character to really get at um, sort of modern day issues um, and concerns and ideas as well. So, and to kind of go back to the the comics and what the Sam Wilson Captain America comic run was, it was very much. Uh, it was really interesting because what they did for the story updates uh, in between issues, in case someone missed an issue, was they did it as a tweet thread, and it was all these people like meanly tweeting about uh, Captain America and how he's not living up to and and. Uh, to me, I thought that was a really uh, smart way to present that. And I do also think that, you know, the government did not install him as Captain America. And I think we're going to see that in the next film that the government wants to have an overpowered say as well. By the way, this is completely tangential, but they always make it just one random senator that's in charge of all of this stuff. And it's like, you are propping senators up to such a level, yeah, it, it, whether it's yeah. X-Men, whether it's DC, whether, whether it's uh, Disney plus shows and Marvel and MCU, it's always one random Senator. Like they don't have that power. Why? why? 
he gave a pardon to Sharon Carter, so he's fine. <laughs> yeah, yes. And we uh, know that the, the, the MCU has a president. It's the guy who was naked in front of the TV and Die Hard 2, so we're fine. <laughs> well, I don't know a better way to end than that. Uh, so. I'm, I, one, one other storyline I'm waiting for is Cap Wolf. Um, yes. I, I want Cap Wolf to happen, and everyone's like, what? I'm like, uh, issues 401 to 408. Good look at it. Yeah, when uh, I won't spoil it for them, uh, although the name does kind of spoil it for them, doesn't it? So <laughs> it is um, what you think it we, is. <laughs> we talked a lot about a lot of things. We did. We only mentioned the name Sharon Carter once, uh, and she was obviously a huge part of this story as well. We could talk about this for days and hours and and continue to break down these stories, and that's why we love Marvel, and that's why we're so looking forward to Loki coming out in June. In May, you get the Bad Batch, uh, which will be an animated series dropping on star wars day so you get a little bit of star wars while you're having your marvel hiatus and then it's off into loki and black widow and what if and so many more uh properties to come after that at the end of the summer and into the fall as well um thank you so much for checking this out if you're listening to this on the main feed and you're not used to hearing my voice on beyond the mouse please check out all the beyond the mouse content that we have you can find us on any podcast app of your choice we usually my co-host brett and vanessa and i talk all things disney like the parks we talk about movies we've had some really cool guests and we actually have some pretty ridiculous guests coming up in may uh, i can't announce them here here because my co-host would be very angry at me. But we have three interviews uh, that we are conducting in the month of May that I'm just extremely proud of. So definitely check those out as well. You can find us on Facebook by searching Beyond the Mouse Podcast. We also do have a group on Facebook, Beyond the Mouse Podcast Pals. We started to do a lot of uh, interacting and talking in there. So I definitely would suggest joining that and joining along in the conversation as well. And you can find us on all the other social media channels as well. I do have Jay here and i'll let you plug uh what's going on over on flashbacks depending on when this drops around the same time for oscar uh season which literally just wrapped up minutes ago (laughs) as we're recording we are dropping the best picture from 30 years ago silence of the lambs one of my all-time favorites uh, and then it, moving into May, we are going to be doing Stand By Me for its 35th anniversary. Uh, then we're going to do, in my opinion, Michael Bay's best movie, The Rock, for its 25th. Um, and then Memorial Day, we're going to take a look at uh, Platoon, who we had the pleasure of in, uh, interviewing Captain Harris from that movie, uh, Captain Dale Dye was that character. He's also the guy who uh, did all the military advising for that movie. So that's a good interview that we did last summer was with Captain Dale Dye. But that's what we got coming up for the next uh, month or so. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. And we're on Facebook and I'm sort of on Twitter. I'm not real good at it because we look at stuff from the 80s. And And, uh, Scott, I know you have some things of brewing. I don't think there's anything that we can uh, announce yet, but you are coming back in a big, bad way at some point. summer. I know one of your interviews, people, and I really just wanted to throw it out there so you have to edit it out. It'll be fun, but no, I won't. Um, But yeah, no. If we ever figure out how we can bring it back, we still got about three seasons of Zonisodes to talk about with the Twilight Zone. Uh, we're working on that. <laughs> it's yeah. coming. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much to you, Tiffany, for joining us along again. And, uh, you know, you're welcome back, of course, anytime. But it's just been so nice to be able to talk uh, this particular property with you. And we really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. 
For Beyond the Mouse, I am Craig. I'm Jay. God from the moon. I'm Tiffany. And we will see you real soon in the front row. <laughs>